0: I believe that this is a timely message, the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting how some of this stuff works. Sometimes it's stuff that you're going through and stuff that God's dealing with you about. And as he's dealing with you about, you ask the Lord, can I minister this to your body? And I believe that one reason he's dealing with me about it is because he wants to deal with you about it. And so we're going to be talking about this morning uh, that it is the time for action. And uh, I believe that the body of Christ has been in a great slumber, and I believe it is time for us to wake up. and it's time for us to fulfill our, to- our, our role in the last day harvest. Amen? And so let's just jump into it. Uh, I believe that there's uh, three reasons why Christians don't take action in the last day harvest. Three reasons why Christians don't take action in the last day harvest. Everyone say, "I'm ready. I'm ready. Amen. Amen. And so it's a season for us to do some stuff. And so I'm going to look at these. Here's the three reasons that the Lord gave me, and I believe they apply to my life. Hallelujah. I'm working on these now. Maybe all three of these categories or these reasons apply to your life. I would encourage you to work on it this morning. Maybe you're only guilty of one of these. I would encourage you to work on it. Maybe you're guilty of two of them. I would encourage you to work on it because the time is now. Number one reason why the church doesn't work in the last day harvest is because there's no sense of urgency. They have a great lack of urgency. But when we look around, we should understand the times. And because we understand the times, we should have urgency. When we don't understand that right now is the time for the harvest, we become lethargic, lazy, and unmotivated in our role of sharing the gospel. I'll say that again. When we don't understand that right now, someone say right now, When we don't understand that right now is the time for harvest, we become lethargic, we become lazy, and we become unmotivated in our role of sharing the gospel. Reason number two is a lack of responsibility. As we look around We see this from politicians. We see this uh, from leaders in the community. We see it even from, uh, you know, people we work with. And sometimes we're guilty of it ourselves. We always push the responsibility off onto somebody else. I believe there's two words that people really don't like in this day and age. One is accountability and one is responsibility. We have to understand that when it comes to reaching the harvest, we cannot push this responsibility off on anybody else. You have a role to play in the last day harvest. Simply put, people don't believe that it is their responsibility to share Jesus with the world. We're very comfortable of keeping the message of Jesus Christ inside the walls of the church. We as Christians cannot be comfortable with this being the only place that the good news is preached. This is later on in my notes, but it's been so strong on my heart, I'm going to say it right now. We need to understand that this is the barn. That is the harvest field. This is the barn. That is the harvest field. I don't know, I grew up in Colorado, my wife is from Indiana, I'm from Colorado, and and, and really the two states are very similar except for the Rocky Mountains. When you drive in eastern Colorado, if you want to know what Indiana looks like, that's it. (laughs) If you want to know what eastern Colorado looks like, drive through Indiana. There's no mountains, and it's just a bunch of cornfields and farms, and you know what I learned growing up as I worked on a ranch, as I worked on a farm? They don't harvest in the barn. When the corn is ready to be harvested, when the wheat is ready to be harvested, they go out into the fields and they harvest in the fields and then they bring it into the barn where it can be prepared for use. We think that all salvation will happen in this place. And I'm grateful when it does. I'm so grateful at the end of this morning's message. If nobody's had the opportunity to get born again, I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart and drawing you unto Christ, just like the Holy Spirit draws all of us unto Christ. Even if we've been born again, He's never done pulling us closer to our Father, drawing us into this relationship with Jesus Christ. But salvation, for the most part, is not happening or not supposed to happen in the church. Salvation happens in the harvest field. That's where we harvest. Amen. And as we harvest out there, then we bring them to the church where they can be prepared. What do we call that in the kingdom? We call that discipleship. And they can be discipled so then they can go into the harvest field. Listen to me, church. We have to change the way we think about this. This is not the field, this is the barn. And the barn should be expanding, but the only reason the barn expands is because more of the field is coming into the barn. And the field is just like corn, just like wheat. It's not going to get up and walk into the barn on its own. And I think the church is wanting that to happen. Lord, just bring the corn to the barn. And God is saying, it's your responsibility. Go get the corn. Oh, y'all will warm up with this as we get going. Hallelujah. And even if you don't, it doesn't change what I have right here. Hallelujah. So you just as well warm up to it. Amen. So the lack of responsibility. Number three. So we have the lack of urgency, number one. Number two, we have the lack of responsibility. And then number three, there's just too many excuses. And in the church, we should not be a place of excuses. You know, we shouldn't, when it comes to like, you know, parents, fathers, and mothers, There should should be no excuse for you stepping into the role of father. There should be no excuse for you stepping into the role of mother. (laughs) There should be no excuse for us stepping into this role of Christians. Of harvesters in the last day. We tend to come up with a thousand reasons why we shouldn't share Jesus. And I'm just like you. I've been standing at the store when he's... Inspire me to speak to somebody, and my list of reasons why I shouldn't do it are just as long as yours. But can I tell you, every excuse that we make when we're making those excuses, what we're doing is we're making that moment more about us when it should be about Him. That's all an excuse does. It's glorifying you. Well, I'm going to be embarrassed. Well, I'm going to be rejected. Well, I'm afraid when God is trying to glorify himself in the grocery store. And so we've got to get rid of our excuses. So to deal with all three of these reasons why we don't share the gospel, the Lord gave me a, a scriptural text why we should do these things. So we're going to deal, point number one, is that now is the time for harvest, and this point is going to deal with urgency. Point number two is that you're called to the harvest and this is going to deal with the lack of responsibility. And point number three is you are equipped for this, so that deals with your excuses. If you're equipped for something, you have no more excuses. If now is the time for the harvest, then we sense urgency. And if you're called unto it, then that means it is what? Your responsibility. So let's start in Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, and we're going to read down to 35, and then we'll talk about it. It says, now learn a lesson from the tree tree, fig tree. When it buds become tender and its leaves begin to sprout, you know without being told that summer is near. I'm reading now the New Living Translation, Circuit 1996, so if it doesn't match on the screens, I have an older version than they do, and I cannot get rid of it because all my notes are in here. Somebody told me the other day, get a new Bible. No. <laughs> I will, I'm will. i not going to rewrite all the stuff I've written into it into a new Bible. so you're just going to have to get over it if it doesn't match the screens, all right? I was thinking within myself, the church probably thinks I'm making up half these scriptures. It's in here. It's just a different version than what you have, all right? And so Jesus is telling us if you see figs, trees, and you see it, you know that summer's coming, and you don't have to be told about it. Just so when you see the events I've described, what events? The events we just talked about, all the stuff he's prophesied, When you see the events I described uh, described beginning to happen, you know the return is very near. Talking about urgency. Right at the door. (laughs) Right at the door. I like it this way. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It makes sense in my head. But it's like, you know, if God had a ring doorbell, we're right there. You know, we're about to go into the other side, guys. This, it's, almost, it's almost time. You know, we've punched the button in the ring doorbell, and Jesus is sitting on the couch, and he sees us. It's, it's right there. We're right at the door. The end is nigh. The, 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 the Apostle Paul and the, the, the beginning, they've been prophesying for about 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years about this stuff. And if that was the end, how much more is this the end? It's like the Apostle Paul started at the mailbox, <laughs> you know, and then over the, the years, we've come up the driveway and then the sidewalk, and now we're at the ring doorbell. The end is now. And Jesus has told us and prophesied all these signs that the end is very, very near. 34, I assure you, this generation will not pass. From one scene before all these things take place, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words are forever. The, the earth and world events are showing us the times that we live in right now. Church, we cannot ignore the signs on the road. Amen. We should look at the signs and we should recognize the urgency of this moment. I mean, just the conflict going on in the Middle East, just in one day, not to be, you know, really negative, or, or, or but we've seen the, the stats, like, just in one day, 3,000 people, gone. How many of them knew Jesus? I'm not prophesying that something tragic like that would happen at home. We don't believe it would. But what if something happened like that at our schools and in our community and all these people are snuffed out in a moment and they didn't know Jesus because we kept our mouth shut? A moment of urgency. Right now is the time. We have this message. We have the good news. We know this great Savior. The harvest fields are ready, and they're white, and we're going to look at that scripture. Now is the time. Can I get a witness this morning? Matthew 24, 36 through 39. However, no one knows the day or the hour, for these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time of Noah entered into the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So the world is completely oblivious. They have no idea, and that doesn't concern me. What concerns me is the church is just oblivious. They're just out at weddings and parties and fellowships living their life and doing their thing. But when we look around the world and there's so many parallels between Noah's time and the time right now, it was a time of a lack of morality. It was a, life, a time of depravity. It was a time of, of violence. This was the time of Noah. And if you look right now, it's the time we are in. And we have to recognize the time. And we can no longer just go about our business like we used to. We must be about the Father's business. We must be about kingdom business. Urgency. Now is the time for the church to be urgent. Verse 40 through 44 two men will be working together in the field, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. So be prepared because you shouldn't know or because you don't know the day that the Lord is coming. You know this, a homeowner who knew exactly when a burglar was coming would stay alert and not permit the house to be broken into. We're not going to, well, let me finish reading. You also must be ready all the time. You must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. The master has left, and he's left us in charge of some things. And we must be ready, and we must be prepared. And we must do everything. Just like he said, a homeowner knows when a burglar is coming, then they're going to be prepared, and they're going to be watching. The devil is coming to steal, to kill, and destroy, and to take as many lives as he can. We must be watchful, and just like that homeowner, we must do something about it. Urgency of the moment. And when there's urgency, because this is, you know, and this is how the Lord dealt with me, I love it when God gives us opportunities to witness. I absolutely love it when that happens. But notice the urgency of this moment. I need to stop waiting for opportunities, and I need to start making opportunities. Because I feel like opportunities almost falls underneath the category of excuses well, I'm just going to wait for something to happen. I'm just going to wait until somebody, uh, you know, comes up to me and says, hey, I'm really lost. Can you help me find Jesus? I'm just going to wait for an opportunity. And then, Lord, when that opportunity happens, I'm ready. But God is saying, don't wait for opportunities, church. Go out and make them because they're everywhere. Sense the urgency of the moment and make opportunities. You know, the Bible, it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. I wonder, do we even know our neighbors? We use that lots of times in church, you know, love the person to your left and your right. But what about the home to your left and the home to your right? We had a new neighbor that moved in, and they they live in this house across the street. We've had like four or five neighbors that have moved into that house. And we usually, I don't do it. Rachel bakes cookies or whatever. I take them over. We had one, they had a food truck. They were my favorite neighbor. You know, I forget what it was. She was from, like, the Philippines, and they, I mean, it was so good, especially the spicy version, and every time i go over there, she'd be like, I don't know if you can handle it, and I'm like, I can handle it, make it spicy, you know, and I would love the leftovers. Don't throw them out. Bring them to our house, and so, you know, we got to know them, and we invited them to church, and they said they were going, and then they moved, and I was so sad. You know, and now someone new moved in, and I was outside the other day, and uh, they were outside, and we looked. I looked up, and, and when I looked up, the man across the street was just looking at me, and it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> I was, You know, our eyes met, and I'm just like, oh, oh, boy, yeah, don't look at him, don't look at him. But it was an opportunity, and it was so interesting. Like, I, I could feel this tug, go meet him, go talk to him, invite him to church, witness to him, and like many of you, I ignored it. I ignored it. And now we've entered into that awkward stage. Have you ever been in the awkward stage where someone introduces themselves to you and then like three months later, you're still talking to them, but you don't know their name? And you're like, we are way past the moment for me to ask what your name. You know, this is like happens on day one when this conversation, I've been talking to you for three months and I still don't, there's no way I'm going to ask what your name is. And so I kind of like creep around conversations close, hoping I'll hear someone say their name so I can learn it. And so you've just gotten into the awkward. Now I'm in the awkward stage with my neighbor. And now when I go over there, it's not going to be organic anymore. It's going to be like, I'm forcing it, but I have to because it's urgent. What if they don't know Jesus? What if they died tomorrow and they didn't know him and God could have saved their life through the messenger? We are the messengers of Jesus Christ. Make these opportunities to minister to good news. Amen. Verse 40. Who is faithful and sensible servant, whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his household and feeding his family... If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Verse 47, I assure you, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. But if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and begins oppressing the other servants and partying and getting drunk, well, the master will return and unannounced and unexpected, and he will tear the servant apart and banish him with the hypocrites. So this is strong words from Jesus Christ. And lots of times God's really been dealing with me. I think lots of times you go to the men with the talents where he gave one ten and one five and one one and and, and that man who said, I was afraid because you're a hard man. And so much of the church thinks that this gospel is hard. The gospel's not hard, we are just soft. Especially in today's society, we're so soft, we can't hear things like this. But how will God return? Will the son return like a thief in the night? Will he show up? That horn is going to blast. And then all of a sudden, like the flood, he is coming like a whirlwind. Will he show up to find his servants busy? Or will he show up to find his servants partying and doing evil things and not being about the father's business? We've got to sense the urgency of the moment we're living in. And we cannot miss it. The whole world is showing us the time. The whole world is showing us earthquakes, wars, COVID, famines, economic woes. The whole world is showing us the times. Let us not miss what God is saying. Go over to John chapter 4 and we really got to get going. Y'all can listen fast, right? I know I can talk fast because about 90% of you have told me to slow down. John chapter 4, verse 34. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Let this be your prayer. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. The one who sent me And from finishing his work. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until summer ends four months from now? Look around you. So Jesus is talking to them, and they're over in the Middle East, and and he says, you know, fall is coming, November is coming, and that's typically when they harvest over in the Middle East. He's saying, do not wait because just because it's summer doesn't mean it's not harvest time. He's saying you need to stop waiting. Don't you think it will begin before summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. Verse 38 I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and you will gather the harvest. For thousands of years people have been working and working and working and now we're in the end time harvest and we've got to get out in the field and Jesus is prophesying and he's telling us, just like he told the disciples of old, he said, stop waiting and go work. What was Jesus doing? He was saying, urgency. Be about the moment. Right now is the time of harvest. And so we have to recognize that now is the time. We're no longer waiting. Someone say, I'm not waiting. But right now, I will harvest. Come on, say it. Say, I'm no longer waiting. But right now, I will harvest. So when we recognize the time, it deals with the urgency. We can see that the time is now. The time is now. And this goes to every single one of us. Which brings us to our next point. We're called to go into the harvest. This deals with responsibility. It is your responsibility, and it's my responsibility. The word preach means to proclaim. We're all supposed to be proclaiming. And the only time, listen, Sunday mornings and Wednesdays is not the only time I get to proclaim. I should be proclaiming on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday when I'm at the park, when I'm at Kroger. When I'm at Publix, wherever I am, I'm supposed to be proclaiming. Amen? We are called to go into the harvest. Some scriptures for you real quick, and then I want to jump through this point to get the next one, because I really like the next one. Luke 10, verses 1 through 3. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others to send him out two by two, ahead of him in every town and every place that he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. Why are we here? We're here because we're supposed to be sent out. Over in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages and their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, well, let me ask you this. Lots of times people will read this and they push response. Well, he's speaking to the disciples of that time. Friends, you are disciples. So if he said it to the disciples of that time, it's still relevant to the disciples of this time. What Jesus said to his disciples, he is saying to you because you are his disciples. Then he said to his disciples, so you could say this, then he said to me, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's wanting us to go out into the harvest field. Amen. We are his disciples. Acts chapter chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to look at two words in this scripture that I believe are going to help us when it comes to our responsibility. Number one is power. In the Greek we know what that means because the pastor says it means dunamis. Another thing that it means is it means ability. So when Jesus said you'll receive power, what he was saying is you're going to receive the ability to be a witness. Listen, when God calls you to something, he gives you the ability to bring it to pass. So that means if he's called you to the harvest, he's also placed on the inside of you the ability to go out and harvest. He will not send you into the harvest field without the tools and the equipment to harvest. What does that mean? Well, when you pray with somebody, something powerful is going to happen because there's tools and equipment on the inside of you because you've received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. And it it secured our salvation. It was a sign that we are saved. Right? That's what scriptures teach us. And that power, amen, is in you. That ability is in you. And so what we do lots of times, going down into excuses, is we think, "Well, I can't do this. I don't have this ability." This scripture says, "You do. You have the ability or the power to be a witness." Amen. That next word I want to look at is the word witness. Now, this is an interesting word. Y'all ready for this? In the Greek, it means martus. It's where we get it. It means uh, an eye or ear witness, but it's also where we get our word martyr. Witness means martyrs, and it's where we get our word martyr. Now, what is martyr? It's somebody who dies for the preaching and the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we are going to go out into this world and we're going to die because we're preaching, but this is what I am saying. If you're going to go into the harvest field and you're going to be a worker and a witnesser for Jesus Christ, there's going to have to be something in you that dies. You're going to have to martyr the part of yourself that keeps you silent when you're in this world. I am going to say that again. You need to martyr the part of you that keeps you silent when you're at school. You need to martyr the part of you that keeps you silent when you're at Kroger. Look at this scripture. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live in faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to crucify the flesh, I've got to crucify my fear. I've got to put to death my worry and my anxiety. I've got to put to death my desire to be liked by people. I've got to put to death my desire to want to be popular. I've got to put to death my desire of the law. I don't want confrontation. I don't want to speak. i don't, I got to put all that to death so I'll be a witness for Jesus. So many Christians are so, we're so controlled by the flesh. For far too long, we've preached a costless Christianity. And what a costless Christianity has cost us is the power of God. Now, we have the power of God in the church because we all come in here and we're believers and we release our faith and we have an expectation and so God shows up in this room. But the power of God is not exclusively for this building. And in order to see the power of God out there, it will cost you something. Oh, come on, church. We're preaching real good today. It is going to cost you a chunk of flesh. It's going to cost you a chunk of pride. It's going to cost you your self-esteem and everything that you are. It's going to cost you something. But that is the price we are supposed to pay. Let my disciples and my followers pick up their cross every day and follow after me. Jesus is saying, die to your flesh so you can live for me. Die to your flesh so you'll be a witness for me. It's our responsibility to follow him, not to follow me. When I'm at the grocery store, I'm not supposed to be following Robert. I'm supposed to be following God. We don't just follow him when we're in this room and the minister's up and preaching to us. No, Romans eight fourteen talks about the children of God. We are led by the Spirit of God. That's not just at church, fam. That's everywhere. I've got to crucify my flesh. The part of me that keeps me from being a witness. Well, it's just the pastor's job. It's not just the pastor's job. Which brings us to our next point. You are equipped for this. All of us. We sense the urgency. We see that the moment is right now. We take the responsibility, and we say, I'm not going to put this on somebody else. I'm going to put it on me. And then we understand that we are equipped for this. Someone say, I'm equipped. Amen. This deals with our excuses. Friends, <laughs> God is so tired of my excuses. Look at what he said to Moses when Moses gave him a bunch of excuses. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, our New Living Translations. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Have you ever pleaded with God? Not me. Send someone else. Not me. He, he asked me to witness to somebody in a gas station one time. I really do remember my prayer. In, internally, I was asking God, just set the cash register on fire. <laughs> you, know, you know when you know enough scripture to be dangerous? You're like, you had a burning bush in Exodus 3 with Moses. Let this man have a burning bush. <laughs> you know, I do not want to witness right now. I do not want to talk to him. And it's like God spoke back to me, you are the burning bush. Just like you, just like I spoke to Moses through the burning, but you speak to this man. Because when, that's when we give, he's got every excuse you have, he has an answer. <laughs> now watch what he said to Moses. He said, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I feel like I've said this before in preaching. <laughs> you know, I'm not great with words. I've never been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. And my words get tangled. Verse 11. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. (laughs) Can I put this in layman's terms for you? And and we don't like this word in our household, but God is saying shut up and go. Go. He's telling them, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Who do you think makes mouths to speak? Who makes ears to hear? Who makes eyes to see? Who decides who lives and dies? Kind of reminds me of Jesus. When Jesus told the disciples were really scared to go out and preach. And Jesus said, why are you afraid of those men who can only kill you? You ought to fear God who can kill you and send you to hell. That's not my words, y'all. That's Jesus. That's in the Bible. We're so afraid of men. Moses was so afraid of going and standing before Pharaoh. He was so afraid of going back where he'd killed somebody in the the effort of trying to help. He was so afraid. And God was like, I do not care. I don't care. I'm not interested in your excuses. Now go. Now watch this. Talking about equipped. Now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. When you're in the store, all you need to know is that you're equipped and that God is with you. Everything, when, when Moses finally got over himself, everything they threw at him, God gave him an answer. They're doing this, they're doing that, throw down the staff. They're doing this, they're doing that, hold up the staff. They're doing this, they're doing that. and He gave them answers. He showed him how to do it. He equipped him to do it, right? Well, guess what? When you're in a store and you need to know what to say, just open your mouth and he'll fill it. What if I say something stupid? Friends, that's part of it. (laughs) That's just, it's okay. We're so concerned about messing up that we mess up and not doing anything. We're so concerned about making a mistake that we make a mistake and we don't follow God. Let me ask you, which is the bigger mistake? The mistake of you saying something silly or the mistake of someone going to hell because you said nothing? I want to remind you of what Jesus said The works that I have done and greater works will follow those who believe. He cannot do any works if you remain idle. The Holy Spirit and the power of God kicks in when we put our hands to the work plow. That's when miracles, and what is the greater works? I believe it's salvation. Because other than that man on the cross, Jesus had not died. Had not raised to new life and had not put his blood on the mercy seat. Salvation came after his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. That's when salvation was made available. That, my friends, is the greater work. Doesn't matter how many blind eyes come open, how many deaf ears hear. People need to get born. That is the greatest work. Somebody being translated from the kingdom of hell into the kingdom of light. From death to life. Friends, that's the greater work. And Jesus said that greater work will follow those who believe. That's all of us. No more excuses. Why? Because we're equipped. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, through the blood of the eternal covenant brought Brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, 21, equipped you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. God has equipped you to do his will. He's equipped you to do it. He wouldn't ask you to do it if you didn't have the right equipment. Over in Ephesians 4, where it's talking about the fivefold ministry gifts in the church and unity in the body, Uh, in verse 11 through 12, it says, these are the gifts that Christ has given to the church, the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, you're being equipped for what? To go reap the harvest. To live your life in a way that people can see Jesus working in you. 2nd Timothy 3:16 through 17 All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Woo. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. You're equipped how? Through the teaching of the word of God. You're equipped how? Through this scripture, you're equipped because God's put something on the inside of you. I want to read this scripture, last scripture, before we go. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Somebody say, I'm equipped. equipped. And friends, it's like riding a bike. The more you do it, the better you get at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is really 1 through 6. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we're beginning again to tell you how good we are. Some people need to bring letters of recommendation with them or ask you to write letters of recommendation for them. But the only, now watch this, watch this. I know we're we're at time, but watch this. Don't miss this. But the only letter of recommendation we need is yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in heart, in our hearts. And everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ prepared by us. It is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not in stone, but on the human heart. We are confident in all of this because our great trust in God through Christ Jesus. It is not that we think we can do anything or last in value by ourselves. Only, our only power is in the success comes from God. He is the one who has enabled us to represent his new covenant. This is a covenant not written in laws, but in spirit. The old way ends in death, but the new way, Holy Spirit, gives life. Now, what is the Apostle Paul saying? I want to summarize the whole message by this right here. The Apostle Paul is saying, we are God's epistle. All of us. We are God's epistle. You are. And me, we are a letter of recommendation. But it isn't written on paper, it is written on our hearts, and it is known and read by all men. Paul is saying your life is a letter of recommendation for salvation. And this letter is not written on paper, it's been written on your heart, and it's supposed to be read by all men. When you go out into this world, let people read the letter that's been written on your heart. Let them read this letter of recommendation that shows them how they can be saved, that shows them how they can have this good life that Jesus died to give them. Let your life be a light in the darkness that lights the way to eternal salvation. We do that in action, but we also do it in word. Go be ministers of reconciliation. And friends, we've said this before and we'll say it again. It's not about growing a church. It's about growing a kingdom. Set your hearts this week to get someone born again out in the harvest field. We've done the church a great disservice by saying just bring them here and we'll get them born again. No, you get them born again out there. You get them born again out there. We've stolen your opportunities to be bold for Jesus Christ. We say, just bring them to church, and we'll witness to them. No, you go be a witness. You go get some born again. You ask somebody this week. I dare you to ask someone this week, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus? Well, I can't do that. It's amazing how we use the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use it all the time. All the time. But when it comes to witnessing, it's amazing how we forget that scripture. (laughs) Scriptural amnesia. All of a sudden, it's just gone from our memory and our hearts. No, when you're at the store, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can go talk to that stranger. I can go witness to that person. I can go ask them if they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Harvesting doesn't happen in the barn. It happens in the world. Let's go harvest.